John chapter 17, we've been over this, this is uh, week 5, I'm going to read just the last 7 verses of this passage uh, today, Uh, in putting this in context as we read it. Jesus has just had what is called the Last Supper with his disciples. It says at the um, uh, a couple chapters back that they were making their way toward the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus had been talking to the disciples, saying, you know, the hour has come, this is the time. Um, he said, in the world you're going to have trouble, but, you know, take courage, I've overcome the world. And then he starts to pray. And it's the longest prayer uh, that's of Jesus that is recorded in the uh, Bible. This is the, the, the single longest prayer. Jesus turns from speaking just to people. Now he's talking to his father and he lets us in on the whole thing. Uh, we're going to pick up here in uh, verse 20. I do not ask on behalf of these alone... But for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me, and loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. Peter, James, John, uh, Matthew, Thomas, these guys, you would expect Jesus to pray for them. They've, you know, they've endured for, you know, three, three and a half years with Jesus. They've, you know, traveled throughout Judea. They've, you know, they've kind of felt the heat of the sun, the cold of the night. They've, they've, uh, they've experienced and witnessed, uh, the, um, the animosity from the religious elite toward Jesus. You'd expect Jesus to pray for them. But verse 20, is Jesus praying for us? He, he is actually praying. That's not an exaggeration. He's praying. He says, I don't ask on behalf of these alone, these few that are with me this moment, but for those who believe in me through their word, as it gets passed down. And it has been passed down now for 2,000 years. People have been spreading the news, saying this is who Jesus is and what he did, and passing this along. And Jesus had already prayed for us on this, the darkest night of his life. I mean, the start of chapter 18 is right where they cross uh, the, the brook and they're in the garden and he gets arrested. 
It's like by verse 12 of the next chapter, Jesus is in custody of the guards and he's being taken off to the temple. He's, he's been arrested. So here he is just before his arrest. He knows what's coming, that in less than 12 hours, he'll be on the cross. Wow. Within a couple hours, he'll be arrested and somewhere in there, early daylight, He's going to be flogged. He knows what the prophecies are, and he knows what's going on. He sees this. And yet here he is saying, you be of good courage, because I've overcome the world. Excuse me, I'm going to pray to the Father for a moment. He prays about himself, prays for his immediate circle, and then he prays for us. All these years down the road, for those who will believe Because of their word, he's praying for us. I don't ask on behalf of them alone, but for those who believe in me through their word. And he's not praying some dark victim's prayer. Man, when things happen to me, I'm out, God, how could you let this happen to me? After all I've done for you. (laughs) He's drawing in close Coming right up under, if you can picture it, almost like coming right up under the Father's arm. It's like he's tucking in close to his Abba, seeing clearly the joy set before him, as it says in Hebrews chapter 12, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame. What was the joy? Well, it had something to do with us. It had something to do with us, with the people he's now praying for. Now notice something about Jesus' prayer. Sin is not the focus. In this whole chapter, he doesn't actually mention sin. Mind you, he doesn't actually mention the cross either. He just refers to the the fact that he's about to be glorified. But he doesn't mention sin. It's like Jesus is already looking beyond sin. He knows what the next few hours are going to entail. And it's like, He's looking right past him. Here, here's the immediate. He's looking right past it at this glorious future, not just for himself, but for us and those who believe in him. He's looking beyond sin as though it's already been fully, decisively dealt with. And it's about to be. And Jesus is on to the real point of salvation and reconciliation. He already touched on it. He's on to the, the point of the real point, which is relationship with God. Amen? Yeah. He says in verse 3, this is eternal life that they may what? Know you, the only true God, right. and Jesus Christ whom you sent. He's already on to that. Right standing, healthy, loving relationship with God made possible. People being welcomed To know God, the only true God, and Jesus. This is eternal life. That's the point. So why do Christians talk so much about sin and the cross and forgiveness? We focus on sin a lot. And it's right to do it. Many, both inside and outside the church, might think, and I've read comments like this, uh, uh, when there's an article posted or you see it on social media when somebody posts some Christian thing and there's a thought that Christians are too focused on sin as though we just like pointing out faults and we don't like seeing anyone have fun 
or anyone enjoying life. Exactly wrong. Exactly wrong. When I just heard this week from a family member uh, that he has cancer. And uh, his, he's meeting with his doctors, and they're talking about his condition, his problems, and about options, treatment options. Why? Because they just really think cancer is a great thing? Of course not, because they just like kind of talking about, about it. No, because they, they're committed to addressing the problem so that he can live. They're committed to addressing the problem so he can have a quality of life. This, these options, we have to weigh them out because this one would be this way, but this one would allow you, after we address the problem, to have a certain quality of life. And they said, well, if you were, you know, 10 years older, we, we would suggest something different. But your quality of life, the kind of life that you want to have is impacted by how we address the problem. Well, sin is like a cancer that all of us on this planet are affected by. Amen? It's there. It's, it's encroaching. It's constantly coming. And Jesus isn't just grooving on talking about our sin. He wants to address the problem so that we can get on to the point. A life. A quality life. That's what he wants for us. Jesus didn't come uh, to say positive, inspirational things like a lightweight pop singer. <laughs> you know, I heard a song recently. Who says, who says you're not perfect? Who says you're not perfect? It's like, oh, that feels so good. Oh, I'm just, I don't have to change a thing. I'm just, you know. That person, and I won't name that singer, says that I'm already perfect. I just need to believe in the fact that I'm already perfect. No, no, you're not. <laughs> I, look at the person next to you and tell them, sorry, you are not perfect. Pastor, I already know that. Tell me something I don't know. You know what, and I understand what the point, and there are a lot of those now. It's fashionable to sing songs like that. And I get the point. The point that I think they're trying to make is they're trying to say, you have value. You have value. I don't want you to just live under a cloud of I'm worthless. I don't have any value. You do have value. Absolutely. But the, where the pop songs don't go far enough, they, they go too far in saying, you know, something like that, but they don't go far enough in this. Your value is firmly, squarely, completely rooted in the fact that you were created in the image of God. That's where it starts. If, if we don't have that foundation in it, then it all is just sort of, oh, it's, it makes me feel so good. Oh, that, that just is good for my ego. That thing doesn't need any propping up. It doesn't need it. Um, it wants it a lot. Uh, <laughs> and I'll see you after the service when you say, John, that was a great message. Then, you know, oh, thanks. You know? Uh, no, th- that, 
It doesn't go far enough because there is value, but it's rooted in the fact that God created us in his image for relationship with him. That makes us valuable like nothing else, like nothing else. Uh, So we could have relationship. The capacity is there to have relationship with him. But a wrench has been thrown into the machine, into the works, and it's called sin. So Jesus knows that. We know it intuitively, even before we come to Christ. And he addresses the ranch. He addresses the impediment to relationship, to being fully God-like and to knowing God. He addresses the thing and wants to take it out of the way so that relationship is possible and it can flourish and transformation, the transformation process that makes us more and more like Jesus can launch, can begin, and and happen. Amen? Amen. So Jesus is praying here in complete faith beyond sin. He's already seen... Okay, I know what's happening here. I'm looking already at the joy set before me. The great thing that God has. This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to be dealt with. So, now he... He moves on. He says this. I don't ask on behalf of them, but for those who believe in me through their word. That they may be one. Wow, really? That's kind of funny. I I pictured, uh, it's a good practice to read the Bible and not just read it through, but to put yourself in the story. I put myself in this story and I picture Jesus in this moment saying, he, he knows he's dealing with sin and he says, Father, I'm asking, even with his 11 that were left, <laughs> that they may be one. <laughs> and I think of the body of Christ, and I, I can picture, had I been in that group of 11, it would have been like, well, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> Dealing with sin is going to be nothing compared to making us one. <laughs> Are you kidding? Look around. <laughs> you know <laughs> I mean, those 11 weren't one. You know, who's the greatest? You know, who's the greatest among us? You know, and other things. And, you know, well, well, I wouldn't have spent the money on that. You should have given it to the poor. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and then little factions within the 11. And then multiply that by, I don't know how, something, what, 2 billion Christians in the world? Something like that? I, well, and I'm I, because I think there are something like a billion Catholics uh, and a, a billion uh, Christians beyond that, and we're going to be one. And how many denominations and all that kind of thing? It seems like it's going to take the faith of Jesus for that to happen. He says this uh, that they may all be one. Those that are here now. And those down the road that are going to believe on me through their word. Oh, how nice. But he's asking for something gloriously above the kind of organizational association that I might tend to think about. Uh, Like a sentimental and fragile human affiliation. No, he's asking for something way beyond that. Something impossible. Something impossible by human means. He says in verse 21, that they may all be one, here it is, just as you, Father, and I are one. 
well, good luck. But actually, he makes it even more forceful than that. He says that they may all be one in the same way that you, Father, are in me and I in you. Father and Son aren't just with one another, together as one. They're in one another inseparably. Like he's talking about a degree of unity, of oneness, that is just, uh, again, not humanly possible. He prays that we'll be one as he and the Father are one, and that we'll be one in them too. Look at what he says. Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. That they may also be in us. Wow. I believe Jesus will have what he prays for. Yes. He's going to have, he, he keeps going. In verse 23, you skip over and he says this, and I, I won't park in that verse, but he says, I and them, you and me, that they may be perfected in unity. Which, there's a little relief in that, because perfected, it means there is a process. It doesn't just mean we got saved, now there's never going to be another um, conflict in the body of Christ. Well, in every other church there is, but in Compass Church, we've never had a single conflict, because we believe the Bible. (laughs) There's conflict within me. Like, and within you, there's going to be some conflict in the church. But we're being perfected. There's a process. Thank God. And he doesn't just leave it to human power or human strength. He says these kinds of words. Look at what he says. Uh, Oh, sorry, I flipped over too far. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one. Wait a minute. The very glory of God is actually an agent, part of the agency for producing oneness in us. The glory of God, the glory of God's oneness, of his perfect unity at work in us, is part of what's bringing that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may be perfected in unity. Again, that the world may know that you sent me. Two times he says this, that the world may believe that you sent me when they're one, and that the world, when they're one, that the world may know that you sent me. There's even an evangelistic result that comes from unity. And you've heard it before, I think we probably all have, that people look and they say, well, the the church is so divided, and the church, the, the believers, they, they don't like each other. Why would I get saved? You guys don't have anything that we, uh, anything special that we don't, we're, we're not missing anything in the world. We've got the same goods because we see the same kind of division and, you know, bickering in the body of Christ. And sadly, there's, there's some truth in that indictment, but the glory of God hasn't yet completed its work because I am convinced that Jesus will have what he prays for here. And he stacked the deck for the success of his people, urging us not just to work with human effort, but saying, 
I've given you the, the, Father, I've given them the same glory you gave to me. The glory of the cross, of dying to self at work in the body of Christ. Because that's when he, he says, I'll be glorified. He's talking about the cross. I've given some of that to them. I've given it to them that they might die to self, that they might be perfected in unity. His divine glory working in us. Now, he goes on. I'm trying to cover this quickly because we're wrapping this today. Verse 24, Father, I desire. I love this verse. In the King James translation, it says, Father, I will. It's Jesus' will. In New American Standard, it says, I desire. I think that's a really cool thing that the Son of God is showing us in prayer that he says, I desire. And his desire is aligned with the desires of God. It doesn't just mean, God, I desire to be, you know, a professional wrestler on the WWF or whatever it's called now. I, you know, some harebrained uh, desire. No, Father, I desire, Jesus praying his desires, that these whom you've given me be with me where I am. Again, he's already looking beyond that they be with me where I am, like he's already there. In order that they may behold my glory. Now, I like the word behold because see means, in our, in English, see can be kind of, it can be weak. Oh, I see what you mean. And it can be almost sort of like a, it's, it's lightweight. But to behold, when someone says behold, it means, ah, take it in. Oh, get a load of that. And it actually, it's an old English word, the beginning be, but the rest of it is holden. And holden means attention. Like when we say something holds our attention. Behold, it's like, oh, I'm I grasp it. I'm taking it in. I can't turn away from it. Behold, it's something worth seeing. Something that holds us, that grips us, that holds our attention. Jesus says, I want them to be with me where I am, to be that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. I like that. Up to this point, the disciples had seen an extraordinary man. They saw Jesus heal people like no one had ever seen. They saw Jesus be merciful like no one had ever seen. Go back to the start of chapter 8. And, you know, the woman brought to him and they've seen wisdom. And he says, okay, the one without sin, throw the first stone. (gasps) Who could answer like that? They've seen him... His knowledge is extraordinary. His power is extraordinary. His love and mercy are extraordinary. And three of them even got to see, you see in the second letter of Peter, he says three of them were on the holy mountain. <clears throat> and they it, it uses words like glory out of the majestic glory. They heard these words. For a moment, it says Jesus was transfigured before them and his Clothing shone like light, and they saw a little glimpse of his heavenly glory and heard a voice out of heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Okay, that's pretty glorious. But still, 
they've seen a little... (laughs) And when they saw it, they were so scared, they just buried their faces. They couldn't look up. They've seen just the tiniest little glimpse of his glory. Even though, as a man, it's pretty glorious. Stop the waves and the wind stop. Uh, You know, feed 5,000 with just a little bit. They've seen kind of glory... But when they cross over what Jesus is talking about now, it's going to be mind-blowing. We couldn't take it in, in our current state. So he's saying, I want them to be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you've given me. Father, he's praying that for us, that we be with him where he is to behold his glory. They've only known a little bit of it. That's his desire. That's his prayer. I'm in. I'm in. Who wants to just say, count me in, God? I want to see it. I want to see it. Lastly, look at this golden thread woven through these last verses. Verse 23. That the world may know that you sent me And loved them, even as you have loved me. Okay, that's pretty cool. That you loved them, my followers, as you have loved me. Even as you have loved me. Verse 24, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Oh, and he wants the world to see that God has loved us as he's loved Jesus, which was even before the foundation of the world. Verse 26, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them. The the glory of God is inseparably linked with the eternal love of God. The love of God that's from before the world. It's not like a different love, like yes, the Father loves Jesus, but... He has a different love for us. No, that's, Jesus says that you love them even as you loved me. And then he says, you love me before the foundation of the world eternally. And then he says, so that the love with which you loved me, the same love with which you loved me, may be in them. We'll get to see the perfect love shared between the Father and the Son. When we stand in glory, we'll we'll behold the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, and the love that's within them. But even better, or not even better, even beyond, not just that we'll get to see it and behold it, but those who follow Jesus there will enjoy the same love. They'll Enjoy it. They'll experience it. We'll experience it. We'll even enter into it. It's like if you had Father, Son, and Spirit, and we're stepping right into what's going on in that. The love, the perfect love that's in there. I I can't even imagine the glory of Father, Son, and Spirit, and utterly no division, no... Uh, imbalance, perfect love, perfect selflessness, perfect desire for one another, 
no impediment to the flow of perfect love. And he's saying, we're going to step into that. We're, that. That same love is going to be in us. The same love that the Father has for the Son. That's what Jesus says while he's praying. He's not even just preaching this. He's talking to the Father. Father, I want them to be with me where I am. To behold my glory which you've given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. You've loved me eternally. They'll get to see it. And then he says... And I made your name known to them and will make it known that the love with which you loved me may be in them. Wow. That isn't just even starting in heaven. I believe that's supposed to happen here. Now, that it starts. Of course, can we experience the fullness of it? Nope. But we begin here. He says, the world will know that the Father loves us As he loves Jesus. He says that in verse 23. So even here and now, the love of God is going to shine on us and through us. Together. And then he finishes with this final phrase. That the love wherewith you love me may be in them. And I in them. That the very person of Jesus will be be in us so that we're not just trying to again human effort make this all happen he's not leaving it up to our ingenuity creativity you know special understanding of things I'm going to be there just like he finishes uh, the gospel of Matthew and he says go into all the world and you know, preach the gospel, baptizing them. And he says, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And it's here again. I'm going to be with you in all of this. I'm going to be, and he's actually, he's praying. He's saying, Father, and I in them. I want this for them. The love which you have for me in them and I in them. Remaining with them, walking with them, constantly communicating the very love of God. The the glorious Love of God. And I in them, even there. Not just individually, but in us. I in them. Because how are we ever going to have unity just by, again, our own effort? No. We, we, it's going to take effort. It takes dying to self. All of those things. We have to try. Just like everything else in life. But we have God here in our midst. Jesus here in our midst making it happen. If he's not doing it, then, you know, it's, it's not going to happen. It'll take our cooperation, our obedience with him. But thankfully, he remains faithful even when we don't. He's in us, working in us, making it happen. Amen? Amen. Amen.